With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, everyone, let's get this over with. Wildcat Radio. Welcome back, Wildcats, to Wildcat Radio, the most interesting podcast and most interactive podcast in the world, covering Arizona football news, Arizona basketball news, and Arizona recruiting news. WildcatRadioAZ.com is our website. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, you name it, we're there. Find us on Twitter at WildcatRadioAZ and on Facebook at WildcatRadioAZ. And I am joined by the wizard, the creator, the guru behind the Beta Rank College Football Advanced Statistical Model, Mr. Rob Bowron. What's going on, Rob? Oh, I'm uh, I'm I'm excited. Even coming off a disastrous trip to Salt Lake City, did did um, you did you get a shower after that dirty, dirty stomping that we took? <laughs> Definitely, like you have to take a shower after that. Like that's horrendous. Um, but the the model itself is up to fully in season data right now, so um, that's a plus. Uh, kind of excited. It's uh, if you look at the model, if you actually go look at the full model, not just the Pac-12, you'll realize it's really Alabama's world, and everyone else is just living in it. But that team is so just uh, it, it's it's a pleasure to watch to be honest like it sucks <laughs> but it's it is that is a team on fire and uh, it'll be interesting to see who they play in the college football playoff and it is a great reminder i think to uh, any Pac-12 fan of the <laughs> the 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 giant cliff that we face to get to a point where the Pac-12 <laughs> can win a national title like it, they, that is an awesome team and they will be good for a long time I mean, do you want to, do you want to, like, it's, is it Washington? Would we say Oregon's our best team right now? I mean, would you want to watch Oregon play Alabama? I wouldn't. I would not. I, I, I would not. <laughs> I was trying to find uh, a no. minute where I could maybe say yes, but no. not one bit, not one bit. But I think in, and we'll get into the Oregon game and stuff when we get into our sleazy bets, but some fun games this week. Uh, let's not get into the Pac-12 stuff until we break down all the games, but oh, man, let, let's just, let's just dive in here. We have... Utah 42, Arizona 10. This was a stomping from the beginning to the end. There are a couple things that we should highlight that are positive first before we get into everything. But, man, I'll just throw it to you first. Well, actually, let's – I think one thing to mention here was there were a lot of predictions online and uh, and on paid sites and a lot of other areas that really had the Arizona-Utah game close – and one of the things, Rob, that we try to do, and, and I'm glad we do the Pac-12 podcast, the 12-pack podcast, which is our Pac-12 podcast, we focus more on that stuff, is it gives us a better look into the other teams in the Pac-12. And I am surprised at some of the websites out there that don't do that. It's all Arizona all the time. And when you focus on that and you don't focus on the rest of the conference, you miss things like USC doesn't have a good offense and Cal's, Cal doesn't have a good offense. And, you know, Arizona stepped up against the teams that 
were likely the teams that they should step up against because there wasn't a lot of there there. And we, we kind of figured that this would be a brutal awakening for a lot of Arizona fans. And it was, there were some positives to take out of it, but just being able to see this Utah program, I've watched almost every Utah game this whole season and, and yeah, their offense was bad for a while, but it's not anymore. And that showed on the fields. I, I was listening to another uh, uh, podcast from, from another uh, media outlet that basically was like Arizona's defense made Utah's offense look good. No, no, no. Utah's offense is, is pretty good. And Arizona's defense is really bad. And that's why you had the 42 points. And that's why that offense was, was humming on all cylinders there. But what <laughs> that was kind of just a little soapbox thing, but <laughs> it, it is important to take a look at some of these other teams. Uh, what did you think about Utah in the and Arizona in the kind of under the tent of the Pac-12 uh, performance over the course of the year? I mean, I, I think a lot of and I, I also want to say that, like, there are also some folks that are running around after this game, I think, wanting to say this was a statement game by Utah. And I, I don't think beating Arizona at this point is a statement. <laughs> I, I and I was one of those people too. I, I more I more meant it in the sense of, look, if you're a Utah fan, uh, you are likely before before the last couple games, you were likely uh, lukewarm at Kyle Whittingham, just because yeah. that program has been good but middling in the sense of not being able to get to that next uh, echelon, and. I think if you're Utah, if I were Whittingham, I would try to stomp on every team I could if, if it was possible because yeah. the, the pressure, there's pressure on him regardless of the fact that he's been fairly successful and is, is widely known as a good coach. So, yeah, yeah, I know Arizona sucks and all that stuff. But, like, if I'm Whittingham, step on the head and, like, don't apologize for it. And we'll get into the <laughs> the kick there because I don't think that was part of that. But, <laughs> the, non, the non-kick. Yeah, sorry. I was just coming to my defense there for a moment. But go ahead. No, no, no. It was uh, – somebody was saying that, you know, Arizona – was not like the 11th best team in the Pac-12. And I think Arizona pretty much is in the running for the 11th best team in the Pac-12. Um, so I would, I mean, I would say with, with Utah, like their game against Stanford was a, a statement. Um, you know, this game was like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think that Utah is, you know, is a team that's not like, and Whittingham is not a coach that like, if they have a chance to put up points, they're going to put up points. Like it's your job to stop them. Um but I, I mean, I, I came away incredibly impressed by Utah and, um, this defense right now, they've been very good. Um, they come in at number 23 you know, after this game, their offense took a big jump, um, up to number 55. Um, part of that's all the, the preseason data. We're fully out of that now. Um, part of it's that they've, you know, really turned it up in the last three weeks and played significantly better, uh, in that game. But, uh, it was, I mean, for lack of a better way to put it, I mean, Arizona was just totally overmatched. And I, I thought the comment that really stuck out was uh, Brock Heward echoed something that we heard last year. And I, I, I feel like Arizona fans sort of, they they turn their ears off when they hear this kind of, that's like, you know, they put on their earmuffs. But like back in the bowl game last season, Bruce Feldman had commented how much smaller Arizona was than Purdue. Um, and Brock Heward said that, you know, Arizona, when they came out in warmups, was the smallest football team he's seen this season. Um, you know, <laughs> it is <laughs> – that is not something – that's not a place you want to be when you're playing Utah at Utah. Um, 
and I just I, I just kind of want to reiterate to people because I think people are getting I think a lot of Arizona, Arizona fans are very frustrated, um, and that uh, you know that they look at this Utah game in particular like a lot of Arizona fans feel like Utah is not a program that should have passed us in the Pac-12, uh, and you know like maybe they don't want to admit that it's happened, but you know. Rich Rap just didn't recruit very well, and we are not – we do not have a lot of Power 5 size and a lot of Power 5 talent on this team. Um, so I, I guess I would say, like, I mean, just be, be patient. Like, Kevin Sumlin, you know, he's going to ha- – it was going to have to be in changing the recruiting for Arizona. Um, if you look at the staff hires he made, he made some hires that will hopefully change that so that when you look at it, you know, when Arizona comes out of the tunnel, they're not the smallest team that somebody's seen all season. Um, but it's a long, like that's going to be a little bit of a process. And I, I think it is a bit more of a rebuild that, you know, Khalil Tate sort of, you know, covered up um, and people sort of like didn't want to, didn't want to admit last season. It was mostly just the Khalil Tate show. And I think we've seen this season that that's really the case. So um I don't. <laughs> that's not a lot of like encouragement going forward for the rest of the season either. I suppose, but I mean, if there were some positives in this game, like holy smokes, like I mean, Rhett Rodriguez was a lot of fun actually. Uh, even if he didn't, he didn't have. A, I mean, I'm not going to say like he had a great, great game, you know. But I'll give this to Rhett Rod. Like Rhett Rod got through his progressions like a lot deeper in them than Khalil Tate does. Oh, absolutely. And I thought in the position that he was in, and look, I've been the, I've been somebody that's been calling for Rhett Rod since the USC game, <laughs> just because right. uh, I, I haven't personally seen Kevin Doyle and I hadn't personally seen Jamari Joyner. My assumption was as a coach's kid, as somebody that um, was widely like when he, when he came to Arizona, the, the big thing on him was he knows the offense. Uh, he can throw, you know, throw some decent passes. So I figured, okay, if if Tate still can't get it done, get somebody that can at least throw some slants, some outs, uh, some just passes in the flats. He clearly doesn't have like a cannon for an arm. So obviously, if he becomes the quarterback against UCLA, they're definitely gonna they're gonna give him those long passes. But with that said, at least he can move the offense forward and give us a chance to score points. And that was kind of the case, really. I mean, he was in that game for a long time. I think he threw one touchdown. So let's not give him more accolades than he needs. But he was in a really tough spot, right? You come in, uh, you I'm sure he probably knew that he well, maybe not, right? Because we had Jamari Joyner in there first. So he's the third quarterback on the on the field. He comes into a nasty loud they, those Utah fans are nasty. I'm not gonna lie. Like that is a nasty, nasty stadium and it's loud and he's playing against guys that that are not on the scout team and not on the first team in Arizona. And I, I I agree with you. I thought he handled himself pretty well, all things considered. And I am a little bit more optimistic with him being the quarterback, hopefully, uh, against UCLA, unless Jamari Joyner can really get his act together because uh, oh, well let's let's start with joiner but first, i mean right? yeah go would, ahead. i mean wouldn't you i mean you just got a really good defense he's on the road like yeah. i mean he basically had steven montez's night you know like against usc um against utah as the backup quarterback thrown in for the first time with no LaVisca Chenault. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, there's no, there's literally no one on Arizona's receiving core that makes anyone afraid at all. I, um, so I, yeah, I mean, I thought he did, I mean, given all of that, like, I, I guess I came away thinking like against a lot of the other defenses in the pac 12, which are mostly bad, like Rod could, you know, be interesting and, and, and make it fun. 
Yeah, well, actually, I agree with you on that. And I thought one of the things he did was he pushed the coaching staff to call different plays. He doesn't yeah. have the skill set that Joyner and Tate yeah. have, which clearly weren't working. I, I would argue that a lot of the reads that Tate was doing on the RPOs or just like just the quick option routes is like were the wrong ones. And uh, we're going to have Max Brown on 12 pack radio breaking down some of these games. And he did this awesome video where he just showed over and over Tate making the wrong read. He has a wide open field. And even if he can't run fast, he should be running and just right. didn't even bother to go that way. So, and the but but the offensive coordinator and the coaching staff kept running it and kept trying to figure out what to do. When you have Rhett Rod, you have somebody that can complete passes. So now that opens up your playbook and it lets you do more stuff and it puts the, the defense on defense. <laughs> it makes them yeah. have to react to what you're doing. And uh, that wasn't the case for a long time. So I thought that was a positive that came out of the game. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm not. I'm. I think them pulling Joiner and putting in Rhett Rod was they realized that. Like Joiner's in there for his legs, you know. I don't think that when we we look at Joiner, you're looking at him and seeing him getting deep into his progressions. Like I mean, Mazzoni, if he can, he's not gonna he's not gonna leave the back end to block. Like the back's gonna have a route to run, uh, and he'll be there for the checkdown. Um, you almost never see Tate or Joiner getting. I mean, Joiner extremely small sample size, so take this with a grain of salt. Um, but you'd almost never see them actually getting down to the check down. And, and Joyner was – everybody kept saying, like, oh, he's just running, he's running, he's running, he's running. Some of those were pass plays. Like, it, he, he ended up running because <laughs> he wasn't finding anyone open. And that's not necessarily all on him. Um, but, you know, like, Joyner – I mean, Rhett Rod came in and, uh, you know, like, if it, was a, if it was a pass play, like, he threw a pass uh, for the most part. and. I was I was pretty excited. I don't I don't know what I, I would Joiner I think looks like a freshman, um, which is to be expected. Like you, I don't think you, we should have like massively higher expect, expectations for Joiner or Doyle than um, what we've seen. I, but I do think that you should people should take away from this that like Noah Mazzoni's offense, and I I don't think I was not like jumping out of the you know jumping out of the house excited about Mazzoni getting hired, but like it's a good offense. Like it's like. He has he, there, there's a lot going on there um, with routes and, and things to get, you know, put players in good positions. And um, I think it I'm much more interested to see it with, you know, somebody that's at least going to get through the progressions on the offense. Do you think we see Tate for the rest of the season? I, w- I would ass- I would assume so on my end, but I wouldn't want to see what your thoughts were. I mean, can you sit? Khalil? I mean, if Khalil Tate actually is healthy. Um, but here's the thing, like if you're going to sit him now, like, and if he's at, like, I think his ankle was pretty seriously hurt in that Utah game. Um, like sit him until he is fully 100% healthy. Like if you're going to commit to it, like do it like no more of this half measures. <laughs> yeah, no. And that's what we said going into this game. We right. go back and listen to the last podcast. We were talking about, there is a large possibility that take gets hurt in this game. So just don't play him. And <laughs> we said the sacrificial right. lamb, put out somebody else out there that, you know, could carry the burden for him. And that wasn't what happened because our offensive line is not good. And <laughs> Utah's front seven is disgusting. And Here's that some. that's what ended up happening. And like, we even mentioned uh, Brandon and a, he was the guy that just completely douched Jamari Joyner. I mean, just straight up spear. And I, I don't think he was called for targeting on that. Um, no. There was a couple other targeting. I kind of messing up my games right now because there was a number of like legitimate good sacks that, you know, at the last minute, the guy turns his head and stuff. Um, but like, that, that defensive line was so intense. 
Let's look at the numbers. Rhett Rodriguez, 20 for 38, 226 yards and a touchdown. No, no picks. I think that that was impressive to throw the ball yeah. 38 times in Utah, and not get the ball picked is uh, that that does speak something uh, rushing. Right. So <laughs> we would we say 75 yards. If we got 75, 72, baby. We're on top of this. We're on top of this. Uh, JJ Taylor. Well, yeah, go ahead. You have negative 18 from Rhett Rod in there on uh, three sacks. Oh, but. yeah, that's true. I hate those negative yards. It always throws everything off. I actually I, I for the for the for the rushing, just so people know, like the rushing and passing numbers, I put out the effective rush and the effective passing. Like I do correct for the NCAA's stupid thing where they take um, sacks out of your rushing numbers. So those are sack corrected numbers. Yeah. I'm glad that I'm glad that you do that. Cause that's ridiculous. Um, so yeah, we got like what, uh, 90 yards, about 90. So a little better than, than I thought, I guess, if you take out the, yeah. the sack there's numbers. Some garbage time. There's some garbage time in there. <laughs> I mean, it, didn't even need to look at receiving Cole. Uh, uh, was it Colin Peter Cedric Peterson? Yeah. Whatever. 63 yards. Um, on defense, let's, let's shift to defense here. Uh, let's go back to quarterback. Hold on one sec. So, so, so like, no, cause I'm, I'm hearing, Too soon. yeah, no, no, I'm hearing some, uh, I'm hearing some grumbling about the possibility of Kevin Doyle leaving and Tate maybe leaving and stuff. And it, that, I, I don't know. Let's, let's let, let things simmer first, but I was a little surprised we didn't see Kevin Doyle considering that Mazzoni handpicked him to come to Arizona and we haven't seen him on the field yet. I and I really because the practices are so limited, you can't really see whether or not he has what it takes to get on the field. Uh, I'm I'm just curious to see what the quarterback situation is next year. You, obviously, some people are leaving, right? I mean, I'd be I don't know that Doyle's necessary. I mean, I would expect one of Joiner or Doyle to maybe leave. Um, I guess if you have to pick between the two, it's <clears throat> it might be Doyle because he's. I mean, Joiner's a Tucson guy. Um, you know, Doyle's from Maryland, but I don't, I don't necessarily, if you're Kevin Doyle and you're, you're, you're clearly behind wherever Rhett Rodriguez is on getting through your progressions. Like, I, I mean, I fully expect that like Kevin Doyle maybe is a more polished, he's a poor, more polished passer than Jamari Joyner, but I don't expect that he's got full command of an offense the way, you know, a guy that who's a, you know, coach's kid does. And has been in the offense for a couple of years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, um, you know, Rhett Rod, I mean, the, 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 the concept, like Rich Rod is much more of a, a running based, you know, offense, but, um, like his, the concepts are not fun, like entirely foreign between the two offenses. So like Rhett Rod's got to be pretty comfortable in it. Um, like sitting behind, but if you're Kevin Doyle, like, you know, you can eventually, you know, beat out Rhett Rod. If you can get through the progressions, like you've got the better arm, um, you've got the better tools for sure. Um, I think if you're Doyle, it's, it's Gunnel, you know, like, um, that's your sort of question there. Cause you know, Joiner, you're like, you're, you're sort of, you're a different, you know, you know, you bring more to the game than just your arm and you're getting through the progressions. Like if you can get good at that, that's great. Um, and then, you know, you can, you know, you can run the ball quite well. I would just, I'd be surprised. Um, really, if you're any, if you're, if you're looking at it, like all of those guys came here really expecting to fight it out for when, after Tate left, um, you know, if, so if Tate, you know, is still around next year, um, which given the season he's had uh, is likely, um, you know, and I don't think a lot of people expected him to go pro after this year anyway. Um, you know, like you're, you're just looking at it and you're saying like, well, I've got a year up on Gunnel. 
Um, I don't know. I just, I'd be surprised. Like, I mean, what do you think? Like, do you think these guys would actually like, go out of it, like to go to another program when really like the, the quarterback competition could almost be wide open. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how Tate does at the, I think any rumor of Tate leaving is ridiculous right now. <laughs> like that sounds just like, sounds really good. To go to Illinois and reunite with Rod Smith, like Illinois is ter- like don't get me wrong, Arizona is terrible, but like Illinois is terrible on offense. Terrible. You're gonna go like get knocked around by Wisconsin on top of it. Like forget it. I would take a look. I haven't seen uh, Gunnel play for all I've read about him. It sounds like he's awesome and all that stuff, but he's still going to be a true freshman. I mean, look at JT Daniels right. in the USC offense. Like, you know, I right. assume that Tate would have a pretty big uh, leg up on Gunnel if he came in, as long as Tate is willing to not be pouty pants anymore and actually, you know, step up and be a leader and practice and put his head down and all that stuff. Um, one of the knocks on him under the Richard system was that he really didn't take the time to learn the offense super well. And that uh, shows when he was playing yeah. in an offense offense where he couldn't move move around the pocket so but if he does i mean he's certainly shown that he can be uh just transformational as an athlete and all that stuff so it'll be interesting to see where he is but yeah i, I mean look does Rhett rod maybe transfer if he if he needs to next year particularly if uh um doyle and joiner progress possibly kari lane i can't see him transferring i just think he's here for the scholarship and good for him um, yeah. so yeah, I mean, maybe we lose one and, and that's fine. Whatever. Like it's just an interesting kind of talking point before we go into, uh, the defense. I yeah. Brett Rod would transfer. I mean, not, not just like, I mean, not that I want him to or anything like actually if Brett Rodriguez stuck around and for four years was the backup quarterback, I'd be pretty happy because I think he gets better <laughs> and he's got, and he's got to get like, if you could bring it a backup quarterback that like you know, fully understands what you're doing on offense without having to get all the reps during the week. Like, Hey, that's a win. (laughs) Um, but I could see him transferring just because he's probably going to end up buried on the depth chart behind guys they're trying to develop. Yeah, now he has some game film to show some teams. Like, I went to yeah. Utah and didn't screw up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's pretty yeah, good. Absolutely. And I, I actually think that he is going to start against UCLA and likely the game after that. I don't know who we play, but um, I just don't think we have any other options. And if Tate's seriously hurt, I think he gives us the best chance to move the ball down the field. So I've been calling for him this whole time. Um, and uh, we'll see. But, I, you know, I could be wrong. Maybe he had a good game and totally regresses, but I, I don't see that happening. Let's move to the defense because we've been knocking on them for a while and they did have a couple good games against, as we said, teams that really can't move the football super well. And Yates kind of had some <laughs> reprieve, I guess, uh, from the criticism, but <laughs> Holy Moses. Was like super popular. And Marcel Yates was like, you know, man about town. Some of that stuff was so ridiculous. Just looking online or on Twitter where people were talking about the defense being back, just like, come on, like, watch watch the games and see what happens and and here we are so but with that said utah is a good team and they and we were on the road we gave up about 500 yards uh 230 on the ground and uh, 265 through the air i thought huntley had a pretty solid game and that's what he's capable of and that's about all he's capable of so he he probably was in the upper 80 percent of his uh, ability there against arizona but he showed up and we really couldn't stop him too much any any notes really on the defense? I thought one of the things for me was that uh, PJ Johnson had seven tackles and two tackles for a loss, which was awesome. Um, yeah. But uh, I mean, if you look at our top tacklers, they're all of our safeties, cornerbacks. <laughs> <laughs> That's never a good sign, right? Right. No, I mean, if your safeties are you know having to go up and make tackles, that usually means they're coming up and making tackles in the run game. <laughs> so uh, if your safeties are making tackles in the run game, it means that somebody got a hat on everyone in your front seven um, and things did not go well. 
Um, I would just say, I mean, like what I would say for people to take away for here is is like, I mean, so Cal ranks near the absolute bottom uh, in beta rank on offense. USC is not doing very well on offense. And uh, other than like JT Daniels playing 500 and Utah has a big, Utah has a serviceable offense. Like this is not a great offense. Like don't, like, don't turn this into like, Oh man, like Utah's a lot better on offense than we thought. Like Utah is better on offense than you thought before. Um, but you got trucked by like kind of middle of the road, probably pack 12 offense. Um, you know, and like, I, I just felt like, I mean, again, like Yates had no answers in this game. Um, and I, I don't know, like it, it was just, it's, it's just unfortunate to see like, you know, three years into this, like this is where we still are. The one thing to mention was it looked like this team was better prepared on the defensive front in the first couple drives because they did they did force Utah into three and long on a number of them. Now they gave up the third downs, and that's a trend that's happened a while. But I was I was impressed for the first couple drives. Here's the problem, though, is that the personnel, which again Yates has had a hand in now for a number of years. That we don't have the personnel to hang with Utah into the third yeah. and fourth quarter, and but even then, I mean, like the game was over in the first half, which is always bad. But at least they came out in the very beginning and were able to make some some kind of stops. I'm reaching here, but uh, I did. I was a little bit impressed with that. It'll be interesting to see what they do against UCLA, and we'll talk about them in a sec because UCLA not the best offense, but like Utah, UCLA's offense is getting better. But um, any anything else like? I really, I mean, Colin Schooler had another interception, which is great. That guy is awesome. Like it just, he's always, he's yeah. always going to do something uh, disruptive and, and it's really fun to watch him play. Um, I mean, Tim Huff got burned a lot and got called for pass interference a lot. Like that guy is a PI machine. Oh my gosh. Good times. Like, he's, a, he's, a, he's, he, he, but he also has the benefit of giving up touchdowns. Like not just, <laughs> not just, he doesn't just call get called for pass interference. He also gives up touchdowns. <laughs> the, you know, the two players we haven't heard from a lot are uh, Tony Fields. And I have a strong feeling, and actually uh, this is just the way I feel, is that he was fine because he had so many tackles because he was tackling behind the line most of the time last year. We just didn't have a defensive line, and he was somebody that came in. Now, he looked good, but now that we have a little bit better of a defensive line and we have other players that are stepping in, he has had less and less of a role in the way that he sticks out. So, uh, you know, he was a freshman All-American last year, but, you know, let's let's see where he goes in the next couple of years, but he certainly hasn't turned into another Colin schooler and they were kind of next to each other. And we kind of had them in the same echelon at the beginning of the year. And that yeah. certainly has changed, right? Well, and I mean, there's a little bit of a scheme change here too. <clears throat> and so he may be being asked to do less than he was, you know, before, uh, and maybe just in less of a position in school or maybe in sort of more of a position to continue to make tackles. Um, but it's hard. I mean, it's it's hard to follow up a very very good season like it's not just that the, like there's just regression to the mean but i mean like it's just it's hard if you know to hit excellence all you know over and over again so i still have hope for him um but yeah you're right he's he's kind of been a little anonymous this season that's fair let's let's talk about this punt here with mitch wisnowski which by <laughs> the way we wrote a whole article about him like so if people are who's this punter what's going on like we're freaking on top of our game, man. There's a go Wildcat Radio Easy. Look it up. Like we even had, we had a Crayola drawing of Mitch Wisnowski before the season started. He is very good. There was 
some much ado about them running the ball at the end, kind of running a trick play uh, out of a punt. Uh, you know, when they were up like by 30 points or whatever. And, and I got into it with Jason Shear a little bit in the sense of like, I didn't think that that was a planned play. Mitch Wisnowski is one, like he is one, uh, like he, he's a national all American and is a big guy and runs and played rugby. From what I've understood with Utah fans is he has a green light. Basically, if he sees a flaw in the, the, you know, special teams defense, he can go if he needs to. I think that was on him to, to go. And we've been complaining, Rob, for a while about our special teams play not being very good, even though we have a full time coach now. And here's yet another example of that. Uh, what did, what did you think about them running up the score? I don't, I mean, it's always on you to stop them. So, I mean, it's not like Arizona's not like, this isn't like this is league play for the love of God. Like it's not, it's not like this is like a pay game where Arizona got like you know a million dollars to come get their butts beat up in Utah and like I don't know like don't run up the score on like the little sisters of the poor. Like we're a Pac-12 school. Like you got to stop them. Um, that said, like I don't know. Like I I I agree with you. Like he you know Wisniewski has a green light. Uh, Whittingham said it in the press conference after the game that Wisniewski has a green light. Uh, Brock Heward on the telecast actually pointed out that it was probably something that wasn't called from the sideline. Um, but the, the other guy was like, <laughs> it's like somebody insulted his mother. He was so offended that Utah. Like, oh, I know. He was talking about it for like two minutes. I'm like, hey man, like so league games, step on the throat if you need to. I, I, if we were in the other side, I'd be celebrating. I'm like hell yeah, man, we freaking ran it up this. <laughs> but I mean, the other part is, is it, <clears throat> people complain about this, but. Some of this is true. Like you get this stuff on tape, you know, like you, you put it on tape so that other teams are worried about it and it, it allows you to maybe like do a different fake at another point. Um, you know, like teams try to get this stuff out there, which has a green light to do this. If he ever sees it like teams, you know, it's, it's definitely something that Utah, I think has there just in there is like a, an, an automatic audible for him. If he sees it, he's going to take it. Of course he's going to take it. What is he going to do, kick the ball? Like, he's a punter. Like, running with the ball sounds way more fun than kicking it. Like, <laughs> like I mean, I'm sorry. Like, you're asking you're asking somebody whose job is, I mean, even at Utah, where special teams players get a lot more positive attention than anywhere else in the country. If you're asking him to, like, I don't know, run with the football like a running back or kick it, like, of course he's going to run it. Like, yeah, I don't know. You left it wide open, knuckleheads. Yeah. <laughs> Any, anything else on this game? I want to cover a little bit of UCLA. Well, again, and one thing I want to mention is shouts to uh, Ronnie and Adam who covered the USC. Uh, I'm sorry, who covered the Arizona Utah game. They previewed it, and they'll preview UCLA in the coming days. I thought that the preview that they did, and the preview that they did for U- USC, by the way, was quite good too. With the Utah one, it was great up until the last like five minutes of the podcast where they veered left and were like, well, we're going to beat Utah. I'm like, oh, snap. All right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I agree with you there, Ronnie. But, uh, bear down. Yeah, bear down. <laughs> but with that said, I thought that the breakdown of the team was quite good. And yeah. so that's why I was so surprised. It's like, yeah, you know, Bradley and A is good. Yes, their secondary is pretty good. Yes, they're, uh, you, you know, they're starting to, to run the ball a little bit more. And the, <laughs> but I think we're going to win. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, wait, that doesn't match what you just said. Uh, so they will break down UCLA and they, they're doing a good job of pointing out all the players that you should 
take a look at if you're an Arizona fan, which is quite uh, fun when you listen and then you actually watch the player. You're like, oh, yeah, that, that's the guy that just douched Jamari Joyner. That, that I know about yeah. him. That's great. Tell your mom. Um, so anyway, shout out to them. But anything else to talk about this game? Uh, no, I don't. But it's best to just, you know, put this game behind us and move on. <laughs> All right. So UCLA, a few uh, a few weeks ago, I would have said even coming out of this Utah game that we would likely be favored in the game. There's no line on this. They're waiting to see if Khalil Tate's still the quarterback and all that stuff. But I would assume that coming into this game, we will at least be a seven-point underdog. UCLA has gotten better, Rob. And uh, I'm curious to see what your numbers say about them. <laughs> so UCLA um, comes in at number 73. Uh, which is not bad considering their record overall. Um, their offense comes in at ranked at number 56 in the country. Um, their, uh, their defense is number 84. Uh, and they do have, they actually have one of the better college kickers uh, out there right now. So um, their special teams, I'm sorry, let me pull that up real quick. Mitch Wisnowski tells you to shut your face. Oh, I'm wrong. <laughs> actually, their special teams are ranked 89. Uh, so the rest of their the rest of their stuff is actually not good. But they're they're actually their place kicking has been pretty good this. Oh, season. their kicker. I think about their punter. Yeah. <laughs> like, how no, dare no. you? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Arizona probably saw the best punter they will see all season last night <laughs> or on Friday night. Um, this USC team or this UCLA team has been pretty been playing pretty well these last two weeks. Um, the uh, and Arizona fans should remember how utterly useless Arizona's offense looked against Cal. Um, Cal has a good defense. Um, UCLA looked pretty good against Cal's defense. Um, a lot of it was helped by, I mean, some of that final score is helped by McIlwain having some more turnovers um, and the Cal offense being not very good. Um, but UCLA did not have trouble uh, in the, the same way that Arizona did moving the ball against Cal's defense. Um, and Dorian Thompson Robinson, who has struggled mightily most of the season, has really put together back to back against two good defenses against Washington and then um, against Cal. Um, his best games by far, um, best by completion percentage, yards, touchdowns, avoiding interceptions. Um, he even ran more in this uh, Cal game, which is something that I've sort of been calling for with UCLA. Um, yeah, I. And then, oh, and then to top it all off, because Arizona comes in um, now ranked at number 106 with an offense at 85 and a defense at 103, um, UCLA comes in uh, with an 84% win probability in this yeah. game when you count in home field advantage. So that's roughly like 11 points uh, in the model. Um, it's a, I, even if Khalil Tate. You know, I, I don't know why Vegas is holding the line because of Khalil Tate, because Tate's ankle has been so bad. Like, I wouldn't expect it to come back healthy anyway. But um, I would expect it maybe even be near a double-digit underdog in this game. Yeah, totally agree. With that said, I do think of all the games that we have on our schedule, this is the one that we have the best chance of winning with the team we have right now progressing as far as they have now. Uh, so yes. uh, their defense is is fine. It's interesting. Well, let's talk about their offense first. Obviously, Dorian Thompson Robinson, like you mentioned, has been coming on. I liked the way that they moved the ball against Washington the game before. They actually lost that game, but I think they put up twenty four points against one of the best defenses in the country. And uh, and I was that was impressive. I would argue that they had them on a, a game where they probably weren't paying as much attention. Washington's defense. They were looking forward to that Oregon game, but uh, nonetheless, they were able to move the ball. Like you mentioned, they dropped 37 points on Cal. Um, you know, 
at the beginning of the year, we were trying to decide whether or not Sasso Jambo or uh, uh, Bolo <laughs> Olomofunmi was going to be <laughs> the wide, uh, running backs. And they both basically uh, kicked off the team. I'm sure there's somewhere, you know, in the in the crowd. But uh, it's actually Joshua Kelly, this this kid that was a former walk-on, is averaging yeah. like 100 and some yards a game now, which is uh, pretty crazy. But it's in the Chip Kelly offense, so it looks like he found his guy, right? Yeah, I mean, he's been very, very good. And I think he's a transfer from UC Davis. Um, he, and you're right, he was a walk-on who was awarded a scholarship this year. Um, yeah, this offense has been getting significantly better. And I, yeah, like I, I, I would look, I would look at this offense right now. And um, there, there's some comments um, on Reddit on our on our Reddit actually about you know it was just it was just that Washington played them in a soft zone but like zone is what you run out there against young quarterbacks like look at Brandon McElwain for Cal like Arizona dropped like eight guys and put them in a zone and Brandon McElwain like threw some really really bad interceptions like young quarterbacks struggle to read zone um, so the fact that Dorian Thompson Robinson in the last two games um, against Cal against Washington is kind of like at least figured out how to you know pick apart a zone um it definitely or at least a soft zone like it's definitely something that like well that tool is now out of arizona's you know back pocket like they're gonna have to figure out something else um to use to work against them and it wasn't like i would say that wilcox and reuter didn't try something else either i mean like those are two of the better defensive minds in the conference and they make good i i definitely feel like they make good in-game adjustments um and, and Thompson Robinson still had a very good game in that game. Yeah. And he's got some targets to throw to. Like Caleb Wilson is a very good tight end. Um, yeah. Maybe the best in the country. Yeah. I know. It's, it's pretty, pretty awesome that he, uh, I love, I, that's well, whatever. I, <laughs> I almost got on my soapbox on us not using tight ends in our offense. Freaking drives me nuts. Uh, Caleb Wilson is a great example. Great, granted, he's better than our tight ends, but our tight ends both like were our leading receivers last year, and they have been uh, stuffed into a freezer apparently, <laughs> just yeah. uh, let to die, which is really a bummer. Um, Theo Howard's a pretty good wide receiver for UCLA. He's not going to break the world or whatever, but he is decent. Uh, but I think Wilson's going to be the guy. Him and uh, and Joshua Kelly are the two players that we're going to be frustrated with all game long. Uh, I want to shift to their defense here, which isn't bad, like you mentioned. It's not as if UCLA hasn't been recruiting uh, on the yeah. defensive front, particularly their linebacking core and their secondary their trenches are where the mess is right yeah their defensive line is really where they struggle um but this defense is really like they they rank 120 in drive efficiency they just struggle to get off the field like they don't give up a ton of big plays they rank number 37 in explosiveness um 57 in negative drive so again like they don't force a ton of three and outs but like really it's like if you can be efficient against this defense like you're gonna put up points like it's not a matter of like needing to put up you don't have to put up five six seven yards of play against these guys like in order to win like you can you can consistently you know put up like three four yards of play get first downs and just keep marching down the field in this ucla defense yeah and they have some five-star guys like uh, Keyshawn lucier south and uh forget the other guy i think he might be injured but yeah. i mean basically their whole linebacking core are all four and five star players their secondary right. is like three and a half to four star players and, and that ma- like look i'm looking through stuff through star glasses or whatever that <laughs> rick says but at some point it matters and if you have a good coach that can put things together that matters uh i'm not quite sold on their defensive coordinator but um 
at the end of the day, it's a defense that is more talented than Arizona's defense certainly is. And it's more yeah. talented than some of the other defenses that we've seen so far. So, um, I, I wish there was a line, but you know, if it's at seven and a half or 10, I probably still taking UCLA. I think they're going to, they're going to use this as another step forward in that progression and give them some momentum. I mean, the one thing that I would say in this is it, if you, if as an Arizona fan, like if Arizona comes out and they're actually fun to watch on offense in this game, like yeah, get excited. I mean, like UCLA's defense is going to be nothing, nothing at all. Like Utah's defense. Yeah. Um, so like, I mean, Arizona should be able to move the ball. Like I expect you, I mean, I fully expect UCLA, you know, like should be able to move the ball at will against Arizona's defense. Um, but that being said, like, yeah, like, this game should be better, even if Rhett Rodriguez plays. Rhett Rodriguez starts this game. How many touchdowns does he get? Uh, I would say two, but I would also probably think he, he might have a pick in the game. I think that's about right. Yeah. Um, how many yards do we get on the ground? Ooh, against this defense, like yeah. we could, we could probably, we could probably breach one twenty. I just, I, I actually just think like we're gonna have, we're gonna have trouble because I think their their UCLA's offense is like taking a big step forward in the last two weeks. And I think they're going to put up points. I have, I totally agree with you. I was going to say 125 in terms of the, <laughs> the yeah. rushing that we have, but I think we give up at least 35 points. Maybe we, maybe we put up 20, but I think that this game, I, the, uh, unlike the last game, we at least show that we can move the ball a little bit. We put some points up. I think if we get to 20, I'd, be super excited but we at least yeah. put 14 up i'm gonna lower expectations there say 14 to 17 ish it sounds about right but i do think ucla just uh brings I mean, the noise uh, against our defense how many yards does joshua kelly have though in this game oh geez 150 <laughs> yeah at least like i think like this could be a game he puts up 175 yeah, and and part of that too, though is because he is the back. I mean, they'll yeah. hand it off to Casimir Allen and a couple other people, but he's going to be like it's going to be Kelly with a carry, Kelly with a carry, Kelly like over and over and over and over again. And he's just good. And unless we uh, <laughs> unless we change something and within like yeah. seven days, you know, what are you going to do? And their offensive line starting to gel a little. And that's I say this is like I mean we were <laughs> you could not find two bigger skeptics than you and I on UCLA's offensive and defensive lines. Yeah. Um, but Boss Tagalo has actually been reasonably good at center. Um, and they're they're starting to gel a little bit on that offensive line. It's not just Kelly; like they're they're starting to put it together a little bit. Um, but if you're Arizona, like go back and like. See, see, try to see what Col- like Colorado shut down this offense pretty well in the second half. Um, try to see what go back and look at what Colorado was able to do. Um, unfortunately, it might have just been like dropping into zone and like totally confusing Thompson Robinson. But <laughs> right on. Well, let's get into our sleazy bets right after this. Hey, Wildcat Radio listeners, have you visited our website, wildcatradioaz.com lately? It's turned into a good site for Arizona football and basketball coverage. Our writers are good, they write quality stuff, and I think they bring a unique perspective about other Pac-12 teams and players that you won't find anywhere else. You can read previews of upcoming games, listen to podcasts, get the latest contest results, and we house all of the data results from the Beta Rank College Football Advanced Statistical Model on the website. So check it out, like on a regular basis because you never know what we're going to post there hey um can i get some pac-12 gambling advice up in here is william shatner you want it pac-12 gambling lines you got it nice you want it 
Talking sleazy bets, talking about all the games coming up in week eight, and talking about some of the action we saw in week seven. Rob, we got a Thursday game, man. Thursday. I mean, I love Thursday football. I mean, it's not as, it's not quite as fun as maybe Mac football on a Tuesday. <laughs> That's so, so ridiculous when they do that. Like, I feel so bad for the players. <laughs> Tuesday game, fellas. <laughs> Get it together. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Thursday, 6 o'clock p.m. on ESPN. Stanford, uh, who and both these teams, by the way, had a bye. Stanford is a two-point favorite on the road against Arizona State. Uh, since both these teams didn't have a bye, it's a lot of time to be able to break down this game. I don't know if Bryce Lev is going to be back. I think that's a major issue on whether or not like it's hard to pick this game to figure out if he's going to play or not. But with that said, uh, Stanford's still a good team. And ASU is an okay team? Like, question mark? What do you think about ASU? ASU is a tough team to peg. I think the model still maybe has them a little high. I mean, it just depends on whether you think that Colorado performance against USC was like a one-off or was it like, Oh man, like this is what Colorado looks like when they play a good defense. Um, because the model kind of likes ASU, particularly after Michigan state won um, against Penn state. Um, they come in, um, ranked in this week, uh, at number 38, um, with the number 18 offense and the number 93 defense. So the defense is a little unsightly, um, but that's not all that different than Stanford. I mean, Stanford comes in ranked at number 54. Um, their offense is ranked at 41, but their defense is ranked at 90. Um, this I mean, this game has the potential to see a lot of points uh, between the two units. I mean, Stanford's defense, I think if there's one thing that we've learned in the last two weeks of just watching them just get jackhammered by Notre Dame, or I mean, this is two weeks ago, a week ago, but um jackhammer by Notre Dame and Utah is like, man, this defense is not good. It turns out. I'm curious to see how, Eno Benjamin does against this yeah. front seven, because obviously Stanford's front seven, isn't the front seven that we've seen in past teams. It's not that great of a run defense, but I'm still not a hundred percent sold on him. Uh, he's definitely progressing and I want him to progress. I think he's going to be a really good talent in the Pac-12 for a number of years to come, but I, I think it's a really good matchup to see whether or not ASU can get their running game uh, up against Stanford. Because uh, one thing to mention is uh, Nikhil Harry is back. So, you know, whatever garbage hit that was <laughs> during that ASU Colorado game, uh, yeah. he had a week to get over if, if he had any concussions symptoms, which I'm uncertain whether that was the case. But uh, any, any negative feedback from that play has uh, allowed him to play into this game, which is good. So they will have their top offensive threat on the board. And uh, I don't know, like, uh, what do you what do you think about Stanford's run defense? What do the numbers say on him? So Stanford's run defense is uh, they're ranked number eighty-seven, so not great. Um, I mean, their pass defense is ranked it comes in ranked at number eighty-four, so also not great. Like this defense just isn't very good. <laughs> um, the one thing I would say about this ASU is that, and this may be coming down from Herm Edwards. I don't know if it's Rob Likens making this decision. They just run the ball too damn much. Um, for how good Manny Wilkins and his receivers have been, like it makes That's no, true. it makes no sense their commitment to the run. Manny Wilkins did not throw the ball enough in that Colorado game, for how, in particular for how well he was throwing it uh, in that game. It just 
it, I mean, and he's he's got an eleven to one TD to interception ratio. Like, let the guy throw the freaking ball. Um, I mean, it's not just like. And there are some comments, and I don't know why people just they don't like Manny Wilkins. Like, go back and watch. He did not get the the, the handful of throws he was allowed to make in that Colorado game. Like, we're just some of them were just gorgeous, like just beautiful throws. Um, so I, I certainly hope like that Herm Edwards actually lets the offense get its freak on and just throw the ball all over Stanford <laughs> because yeah, it, it, it makes it, no it, sense to like commit to like, not that Benjamin hasn't been pretty good, but like they feed him the ball constantly. Yeah. And Benjamin isn't Ronald Jones or Royce right. Freeman. Like, it, yeah, I mean, he could be in a few years. You, you, you don't know, but uh, it's not like they have this workhorse back that they can just ride and grind and win a game. They need to be able to do a couple, a uh, couple different other, different other things, a couple other things in order to keep defenses honest. I'm just looking now. So Bryce Love is probable for Thursday against Arizona State, which is a good sign because um, while <laughs> the Stanford run blocking hasn't been awesome. You got having him on the field against an Arizona state team that you can run against yeah. at least gives Stanford another weapon to use outside of their top receivers. Absolutely. I mean, and this defense, this ASU defense does grade out a little bit better against the run ranking number 76. And then they're 100 against the pass um, as well as Stanford has thrown the ball around. Uh, you know, I would, I would be a little worried if I was ASU in this game. Um, on that front and Costello, you know, like he knows what he has to do. Like, and he generally makes, he can make decent throws. The one thing that I would say that, um, no one had done up until Notre Dame and then Utah really did it to them was, um, and Hippoday had pointed this out is Costello gets, uh, he, he's not good when he's pressured. He gets happy feet. He doesn't set his feet and he makes bad throws. Um, he did that against Notre Dame. He did that against Utah. I don't think that ASU can get pressure on them, um, but I'm interested to see Danny Gonzalez try it because he does like to bring the heat. Okay. Any other major items? I mean, I would like to see – I haven't seen enough of ASU secondary to know whether or not uh, Stanford's wide receivers are just going to take full advantage of the the height. The one thing that was cool is Max Brown, who again we're going to talk to, did a whole video on how Utah stopped that fade that they threw to JJ Arce yeah. Whiteside. Like basically, what he does is just boxes people out. And the problem is, uh, Costello isn't throwing a beautiful ball. He's just kind of throwing it and just like, oh, you're tall. Here, go go get this. And what that allowed Utah to do, because they had the taller secondary players, is they were able to step in front of that and, and do some stuff to change that up, which is cool. So if you haven't seen that, just check out Max Brown's stuff on YouTube. Uh, I I don't know. I, I don't know. I still know what I feel about this secondary for uh, ASU. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think that the secondary for ASU is, is, are the guys to like – do what Utah was able to do against this, this Stanford team. <laughs> I mean, I think that they're going to be able, I think Stanford's going to be able to, to do what they've normally done, which is, you know, put the ball up high. Um, but, and I, and I've talked about this with Costello, like he, he does, if he's given time, like he, he can make those throws. Um, the danger when you make those throws is when you're constantly aiming to throw high because you've got these giant wide receivers and tight ends um, in particular. And, and Stanford will do it over the middle is like if you sail that ball, that is an interception waiting to happen if you have safety playing center field. 
Um, so if, if ASU can get any pressure on them, I just, I don't know what to make of this. You're right. Like, I don't know what to make of this ASU team right now. Like it, I feel like this is, has shootout written all over it. Um, although every time I think it has shootout written all over it, I end up watching some like mind numbing, almost like big tense log. So <laughs> I'm with you. I don't like the model has the, because Arizona state has played better, uh, and more consistently and Stanford has, has really fallen quite hard in the last three weeks. Um, ASU comes in with a 67% win probability in this game. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, now some of that's home field. Um, but I, I just, I, I'm, you're, I'm with you. Like I'm struggling to, to really want to put faith in the sun devils. Like I, I don't, I still think I would probably take Stanford to win, but I really need to see the line. It's a fun game. Maybe this yeah. is probably one of the better games of the week outside of obviously Oregon and Washington state. I'm going to take Stanford. I just am. I trust. I, I don't trust Herm Edwards yet. I know that he's done better than I anticipated him. I don't trust this team yet. And at least I know what I have in Stanford, which is a pretty good wide receiving core. Uh, one of the best, hopefully, <laughs> running backs in the country, even though he's been really stifled. But him running against the ASU defense, I think, is going to be what makes this game uh, favorable for Stanford fans. So give me give me the Cardinal two points. What the heck? Uh, I think they're the oh, better team. It's only, two points. Oh, only yeah. two points? I'll take Stanford that um but asu asu's been as, as decent as they've been at committing to run the ball and their offensive line has been decent at that like manny wilkins has taken some hits this season um like they're not great at pass protection so um not that stanford's really gotten to almost anybody this season so <laughs> yeah but they're not like you know arizona yeah. or oregon state or uh even cal cal doesn't have a bunch of guys on that line so Yes, they haven't gone to a ton of people, but they're still in the middle of the Pac-12, I would assume, in terms of talent, yeah. right? Oh, no. I mean, Stanford, in terms of like raw talent, has recruited incredibly well. Um, this defense has just fallen off the map versus their talent level the last two seasons. Okay. Um, and again, uh, one of the things I forgot to mention, so the way that we do this is we talk about the game that's coming up, and then uh, we mention the game that's coming up, and then we go through any games that those teams have played in this past week. So the next one would be Saturday at 1230. Colorado is a 17 point, 17 point rock. 17 points. <laughs> underdog on the road at Washington. Uh, Colorado, of course, coming off of a 20 to 31 loss to USC. Uh, we both watched this game, but let me throw it to you first. What uh, what were your general impressions of what happened in uh, USC? Uh, so USC's defense really showed up. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Um, I, I think everyone was rightfully high at this point in the season on Colorado's wide receivers. Steven Montez was not finding dudes open. Um, you know, when Colorado's receivers were getting out there and when he did have time, which wasn't always, um, he was – holding the ball, looking, 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 going through his reads, um, sometimes trying to force it to Chenault. Uh, it was, it was a more impressive performance than I was expecting from USC secondary in this game and shutting down, uh, Colorado. And Porter Gustin, like we mentioned, I mean, the night is dark and full of Porter oh, Gustin, he and unfortunately he's gone. Like, that sucks so much. Um, but he was everywhere, and it was really fun to watch him play. And and like I had mentioned, like, I don't think this offensive line has played an actual defensive line yet, this Colorado offensive line. They finally found one, and it certainly showed. It'll be interesting to see if Colorado uh, – I know we're uh, – 
well, well, shoot, it'll be interesting to see if they can hold the line against Washington because that is a nasty front seven too, right? Yeah, Washington's defense has been falling off. Um, you know, giving up giving up a bunch of points to UCLA and, um, and then turning around uh, and they had a, they had a pretty good game against a pretty good game against Oregon, but not a great game against Oregon. They've been falling. So they came in right, come in ranked at number 30 in the model right now. Um, they're, they're, they're good. Um, they're, they're better against the pass than they are against the rush. That secondary actually for Washington has been quite good. Those safeties are just nasty um, and they will get after you. Um, but they, uh, as, as we saw with Oregon really too, like, I mean, they they are a team that teams have found some success and, and UCLA did too, like found some success running the ball on to highlight USC's defense and what they were able to do. Like <laughs> this stat line, um, Trayvon McMillan, 18 carries 32 yards. Like they just snuffed him out. It was nasty what they were able so, to do up there my favorite stat of my favorite stat of this damn near unwatchable game is <laughs> is that for both teams lavisca chanel was the leading ball carrier the leading rusher with two carries for 46 yards and he had, that, he had that one huge run which was so like i think his other carry was like for one yard <laughs> like it was just <laughs> like it was just such a bad like nobody even made a reasonable attempt to run the football it is amazing how usc's run game has just fell flat on its face and it it wasn't just in this game it's been in multiple games over this season which is so surprising considering the talent or or talent we thought that they had back there but yeah like stephen carr 12 yard uh, 12 carries for 20 yards i mean it was just (laughs) it was really bad and usc was more than willing to hand the momentum and the ball over to colorado in the beginning uh jt daniels had those two terrible picks at the beginning of the game and I'm like, all right, because I had I had, I had a little uh, little piece in the game on <laughs> Colorado. I'm like, all right, man, let's see. full Montez, and he just could not get it done. The wide receivers couldn't get it done, and they are in bad shape. I I'm actually going to take Washington in this game. I think that Washington blows the doors off of uh, Colorado because I know you had just mentioned that their secondary is better, which which speaks well to being able to cover Chenault and some of those other wide receivers that they have there. But uh, I just think that they're going to make Montez run and make him. Uh, uh, make him panic and make him make bad decisions. And it might be a replay of what we said what we saw in this game, because I do trust uh, this Washington defense and 17 points is a lot of points. Not going to lie, but I'm going to jump on Washington here. What about you? I, I'm taking Colorado because 17 points is just bananas. Um, Washington, uh, Washington comes in in this game and they have a roughly 67% win probability. That's not anywhere near 17 points, really. Um, and I, the one thing I will say is I, I Colorado's defense did step up and shut down the, the run yeah, um, pretty uh, well. Yep. But what I, what I was like, JT Daniels was just basically like, he had that one drive where he looked just razor sharp. Like, Oh yeah, this is clearly the number one QB recruit in the country. Like awesome. But the other two touchdown drives that he led, like where he had the big plays, like he was playing 500. Like he was doing exactly what they did against Washington State, which is some things that I think people sort of can unfairly accuse Costello of, which is just throwing the ball up and letting his receivers go get it. Like JT Daniels was just throwing the ball in the general vicinity of his wide receiver down deep. Um, and then you know, some five-star wide receiver is making some impossibly athletic play to make some huge play. Um, 
well, Browning doesn't usually do that. So I, I think Colorado's defense had a really bad night as well on just a couple of plays on what could have been a better night uh, on their offense was just awful. Um, I don't expect the offense to be as bad. I think uh, Chivarini cleans it up a little bit. I, I like Colorado. I don't like him to win the game, but I like him to, to cover. You totally just convinced me. I did. <laughs> yeah, you did. I'm going to switch my pick. Um, and and one of the reasons too is because I don't I don't think Colorado is going to put up a ton of points, but I still don't trust this wide receiving core for Washington. I I know, yeah. like if you're a Washington fan, I know you're beating your head against the wall. I know. I like I've watched every Washington game. I understand that there's talent on here. I'm not saying that there isn't, but I do still like the secondary for Colorado, and I. I'm not a fan of uh, what's going on with Miles Gaskin being on the sideline and uh, Savon Ahmed having to carry the load there. I was just and about to say, I, are they banged up though? Like, I mean, they didn't finish that game, Oregon. Let me take let me take a look here. Um, while we do that, um, tell not me, that, tell not me, that there's like an injury report or anything, but <laughs> <laughs> there is. Hold on, hold on, hold on. So he and uh, Savon Ahmed are questionable on Saturday versus Colorado. And it looked like Miles Gaskin was like not he was seen on the sideline, but that didn't look that didn't look good. And are is Washington be able to run the ball? I think Colorado's run defense isn't terrible, right? Yeah, I think Colorado's run defense is pretty good. Um, I think they lost a guy maybe for the season, uh, Frankie. But I'd like to see. I, I still think I, 17 points just seems like a lot. Um given everything and i do think I mean, i'd be surprised to see this colorado offense which um i'd just be surprised to see him held in check and if, it, if it's really it's if it's all on jake browning to win by 17 like no i want no part of that <laughs> all right we're moving on 1 p.m cal at oregon state woof woof this game <laughs> sucks oh my gosh get excited <laughs> I don't even know what channel it was. It wasn't on a. It wasn't on ESPN yet. It's got to be Pac-12. It's probably like CBS Sports. The Larry Plus. Scott. The Larry Scott special. Oh my gosh, Cal and Oregon State. Um, oh my goodness. So Cal, there's no line on this, and I'm uncertain why. I'm wondering if they. Uh, I mean, like, because Cal always cycles through their quarterbacks anyway, right? Well, I mean, McElwain's just been playing. I mean, they've basically gone with McElwain these last two games, so. I don't understand why there's not a line on this game yet. I mean, and, um, it's it's Connor Blount for Oregon State, right? Like, I don't I don't know why there wouldn't be a line for this game. Yeah, I'm uncertain why. Uh, let's go into so Cal <laughs> scored seven points against UCLA, 37-7 UCLA over Cal. Uh, this was just a brutal game. If you were a Cal fan, I actually went balls of the wall, and in our survivor pool, I took UCLA as a seven and a half point underdog. I saw that. Like that was amazing. <laughs> Props to you. Like, yeah, that you got big... UCLA out of the way? That's amazing. It, and it wasn't even – it was me and like five other people. I'm in this $25 pool where – anyway, there's there's a number of people that took it. I was surprised. I thought it was going to be the only one. But I think some other people are seeing what I see, which is Cal is not a good team. With that said, I have to take Cal in the survivor pool against Oregon State, and I don't feel good <laughs> about this at all. So tell me what happened against UCLA here. Um, well, uh, the UCLA's offense has started to put it together a little bit. I mean, Cal's defense is quite good. But um, 
and they come in ranked number 44 in the country right now. Uh, but their offense was bad, bad, bad again, and they just couldn't keep up with what UCLA was eventually able to do against them. Um, their offense comes in ranked at number 124. McElwain didn't really have uh, interceptions until late, but uh, then, of course, like the bad McElwain came out, um, and they were able to put the game away. But uh, UCLA was able to run the ball pretty fec- effectively, um, and Thomas Robinson was was really good for the second straight week. So, uh, man, I mean, and Bears fans were apoplectic at losing this game. I mean, like, <laughs> they I mean, like, be. like fire Wilcox apoplectic oh. at losing this game. <laughs> like, people were just like, I uh, the the cow blog or the cow yeah the cow blog which what was, I think it's like gold oh, the California gold blogs they they yeah. are they are some head cases I and mean, that's coming from me on on our Twitter account, no, so. I mean they they kind of annoy me because they do that play by play thing and I'm like don't do play by play on Twitter like please they um, still do that I I unfollowed them like six years ago because they were doing that. I know but after the game they basically tweeted out like every raging angry like cow take. Um, that they could find on Twitter or that was tweeted at them. Um, and people were just like, just like slit your wrist mad, <laughs> like and depressed over this loss. <laughs> oh, it's, it's interesting because there's like five people that follow <laughs> Cal football. So they're all like, they're all on the phone with each other on a conference call right now. So <laughs> there was like a non-trivial number of former players that were like, like, I mean, of course, like standing up for like the, the players and the coaches and everything like that. But I was just like, that's how, that's how many Cal fans are out there is like, I mean, they're like, it's pretty easy to find the former players because there are so few Cal fans. <laughs> All right, let's just move on here because uh, I don't. I don't. I this wish there was fun, a- and I want to say why, like real quick. Like so, <laughs> dude, get excited! Like, come on, it's Pac-12 oh, football. This only happens once a year. Um, Jamar Jefferson is. If you haven't been watching, like Jamar Jefferson is legitimately possibly the best running back at the conference right now. Like. Um, I would just say, like, he's he's been phenomenal. The Oregon State's offense comes in uh, ranked at number 54. Um, they're sort of surprisingly good. They get to take on Cal's pretty good defense at 44. But the flip side of this is is Cal's offense, which has just been, like, it's almost like incompetence porn how bad Cal's <laughs> offense has been. <laughs> like, they're number, they're number 124. But they get to take on, wait for it, the number 129 out of 130 oh ranked gosh. defense in the country. So, like, Cal has a chance to show up and, like, look competent offense for, like, the first time in maybe all season. So, like, this game could be, like, bonkers. Like, I, I'm kind of excited. Like, I'm, I am probably going to carve out time to try to watch this. Oh my goodness! You are a sucker for punishment, my friend. But <laughs> no, that, that's good. Those I watched all good Arizona points. Utah, man, and I stayed <laughs> up to watch like Colorado USC. Like this game, at least has like the promise of like I don't know putting up points. Yeah, that that's fair. That's very fair. Let's let's get out of the mud here. Let's, get, I, let's go I'm on taking Cal. Board. Like whatever the like anything short of like twenty five points. Like give me the Bears. <laughs> twenty five points. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, I I would say 10 i do 10 if it gets past that i might actually take oregon state because i i have cal again in our suicide pool but i do not feel good about it i think this is a game that they could lose if if oregon state is going to win one game this. in the pac 12 yeah this is the one uh but let's get to the big one here oregon um 
Oh, I don't know if I have the time on this, but basically, so Oregon goes on the road at the Palouse, Washington State. Oregon is a two-point underdog right now going into Washington State, which I thought was an interesting line. Um, we already talked Oregon, Washington. Did we talk Oregon, Washington? Uh, no. A little bit. Okay. Yeah, right, a little, little bit. We, 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 we broke our rule and we didn't cover Washington's game previously enough. <laughs> Ugh, this is... We're on fire right now. Um, This was, like we mentioned, this is such a good game. Um, I watched this entire game, but uh, I want to hear your thoughts on it because you watch a little bit more detail than I do. I I thought this was a great game for, I mean, for, I mean, Washington, it's not, I want to say this, like Washington didn't play badly. Um, Oregon uh, played well on offense against a good uh, Washington defense. Um, Oregon's defense, I think, showed up as much as they had to. Uh, Washington started out almost always in far worse field position, uh, with the exception of the the, uh, the turnover-aided field position that they had. Um, Washington started out almost always in like far worse field position than the Ducks uh, did, and, and that started to show uh, on the points. But um, So kudos to Oregon special teams for showing up. Um, I thought Herbert and Browning had reasonably good games, um, but not great games. And I think relative to the quality of or where Oregon's defense sort of currently sits, um, which isn't great. Like Jake Browning and that Washington offense really should have had a much much better game than they did. Um, And I think part of that is, is, and as Arizona fans, we got to watch this last year. Like don't, don't ever play Jim Levitt after a bye week <laughs> do not okay. do not give jim levitt two weeks to prepare um because jake browning and that and bush hamdan uh you know the washington offensive coordinator i think they looked very confused in this game by what oregon was doing a lot of the time uh and they were uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of just like unable to execute um to go with you know some some schematic stuff that they were really weren't you know clicking on all cylinders yeah, and then you had Miles Gaskin go out. Um, yeah, a couple things on my end that I was really impressed with was, geez, man, the rushing from Oregon, 177 Oregon yards. Ball. <laughs> buddy i mean we knew that they were good but this was a really good uh washington front seven that they just lit up and that i mean it was crazy like cj verdell got 29 carries and good for him right he was the player that um i think fumbled the ball against stanford or whatever and you know they give it to him to win the game which i thought was a really cool uh story to see but um Two touchdowns, 111 yards. I, I love the fact that they were able to get the ball uh, and get in people's hands and run it and be able to push and push and push on Washington. And like you mentioned, I'm, I'm in agreement on where Justin Herbert and Jake Browning were fine, but it wasn't like – this sounds weird, but it wasn't the Colorado ASU where you're like, oh, man, I'm watching <laughs> – like two really good quarterbacks just sling the ball around. Right. Um, but I think that was more on the defense than it was on the offense. It wasn't like they played. I think they played poorly. Even Jake Brown, he had a couple moments. I'm like, Oh my goodness. But uh, for the most part, he was competent. He was fairly calm. Is that fair? Fair to say he yeah. gets rattled, but he, does. he can get rattled. Um, I thought he, I thought he was pretty good in the game. Um, I don't think that you could look at it and say like he, he missed a lot, but you just kind of felt like, I don't know. Like I felt like he probably left it. I mean, I just felt like he left things on the table. Hmm. Uh, ben Burkirvan, whoo, buddy. <laughs> like yeah. He, he, you talk about everywhere. He was ever, he wasn't necessarily in the backfield as much, but, um, sometimes we'll, sometimes we'll like stat count on, uh, linebackers for getting a ton of tackles because 
you know, like the defensive line wasn't doing their job. It seemed in this game, at least as I was watching it, that he was he was making tackles because he was a good player <laughs> rather than he was getting tackles because uh, players were, you know, just making it to the next line of defense. I don't know. I, I just thought he was flying all over the, the place. He was somebody that stood out a lot in my mind, at least. No, he's having a phenomenal year. I mean, like he's having like the year that Cam Smith of USC had last year um, where you're not necessarily like you are you're making a ton of tackles and they're not bad tackles. They're not like <clears throat> five, six yards in the line of scrimmage like he's making tackles, you know, <clears throat> three yards in the box, just making a ton, ton of tackles. But because he's playing in the middle, he's not making a ton of tackles for a loss. You want to talk about these targeting calls? Yeah. Oh, sure. that's well, I mean, what we forgot you about. You can't we gotta end, calls. Yeah, we got to end on like the uh, the ridiculous targeting. The like Fred from accounting for the Pac-12 is making decisions on like what, what targeting is and what oh, was yeah. apparently for weeks. We'll get into that later. But so there were two targeting calls in this game, and I thought they were the technically the right calls to make. And I, but man, like both of those were like legitimate sacks, like hard hitting. But they did. They did hit him when they got him. And it's tough because when you're like a six four defensive end or linebacker or whatever, and you're tackling a quarterback, I w- they made the right decision. I'm not complaining about it. But I'm just pointing out that like this is this is what comes with all of the targeting calls. Is like I thought those were not malicious, and maybe there should be a split between malicious targeting and regular targeting. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Like, do you think that that should be a thing? No, I mean I think it's tough because I think you still have to have like in order to get compliance like to get players to get the crown of their helmet down um you do have to have some sort of like severe punishment there uh unfortunately but you're right like these weren't this this was not like the uh the usc colorado (laughs) non-targeting um where both players just basically like lower the crowns of their helmets and went at each other um this game was much more like the the defensive lineman and it's tough if you're coming off of uh coming off of a blocker you're usually not necessarily down in like tackling position um but you might find yourself deposited right near the quarterback and so you're like your first instinct is like all right just tackle this guy um but like the the players clearly did not get their heads down um into good tackle i mean they they did not get into good tackling form to (laughs) to put it mildly um and then they, you know, like you, you want to see players get their heads down and their faces up. Like you don't want to be leading with the crown. Um, but in both cases, like it's very clear that they, they were leading with the crown. I, I like, I know this, the, the, like they seem ticky tacky cause it just seems like in a normal run of football plays. But like, if you're going to clean up football so that they can stay around, like those are the kinds of plays that have to get cleaned up. And I didn't have a problem with either of them. I absolutely it was the right call that there was the one I forget what team it was or what quarterback where the quarterback turns into the lineman basically yeah and, and it was just was an awkward yeah awkward tie yeah it was why so uh, it's just it's a bummer because that game was so competitive yeah I think it's sometimes it's it's less frustrating when a team's up by 20 it's like yeah get that guy's ass out of here <laughs> or it's early I get him out of here right whereas that game was so tight and so um, competitive and you got two like major pieces taken off the board for what was their fault and what was certainly a penalty. But I'm like, ah, I wish they were, I, I know, I know, but I just wish they were still in the game. And then that wasn't the case, but whatever, like, you know, they, they made the right call and they had to, and you're right. You got to clean 
the game up, but I just wanted to bring that up. Uh, anything else on Oregon, Washington? Man, college kickers. Like if you're a Washington fan, like so they came in with the true freshman kicker this year. And I mean, it was a big question about about this team. Like, was that going to come back and bite them uh, at all this season? And uh, oh, boy, did it come back and bite them. Oh, man, that's brutal. Uh, our condolences to the dog pod and our friends there for <laughs> that. And then right when that, right when he missed that kick, I'm like, Oregon's going to win this game. There's no way. Yeah. Gonna oh yeah. Like that was the, 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 I, I like to joke around and like have like pandas rolling on the pack 12, like uh Twitter, the 12 pack Twitter. But, um, like that was definitely momentum swung right there. Oh, and, and like, Mario Cristobal freaking called like eight timeouts to to freeze him. Yeah. Uh, I went and made a snack like way before, right, right when they put the you know that he lined up for the the kick. I'm like, I'm gonna make a sandwich. I'll be right back because he's not gonna make this kick for another like ten minutes, yeah. which ended up being the case, and it worked. So uh, good on him. Okay, um, did we pick? Did we pick this game? No. We have oh, stuff yeah. The, the we, still, we have still yet to talk about Washington State versus Oregon and game day. Oh, my <laughs> we just like. Which is good. Like the the Washington Oregon game was the the by far the game of the week. I'm so excited about this game. Like this is this is going to be so fun. I, Gardner Minshew has been amazing, and we're going to definitely ask uh, uh, Max Brown about like what makes him special because he's excellent. He makes his reads. He does these. Anyway, he's the perfect quarterback for that system. And I don't know, Rob. What are the things you're going to look up uh, or look at when you're looking at this matchup here? Oh boy, I am. I mean, you want to see some offense, ladies and gentlemen. Like, so Washington State comes in with the number three ranked offense in beta rank. Um, like, this offense is just so good, and 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 Minshew is just lights out. And they they do not run the ball. Um, they rank number one in effective passing in beta rank, and number one twenty seven in running. Um, and Gardner Minshew is just there's there's no one in the Pac-12 who's having a year anywhere close to the year that he's having. Um, it's not just like touchdowns and things. Like that. I mean, he's he's almost a thousand yards ahead of uh, anyone at this point. Um, so I yeah, I, like I, I like Minshew quite a bit in this, uh, in this game. Like I, I I don't think that this Oregon defense. Um, is, is as good as last year. I think they're probably a little better than where the models got them right now. Um, cause the models got them all the way back at number 94. Um, but the, uh, I, I do, I do, I do think Minchu's going to have a, himself a good game. Um, now Hippo, they did have a good point that, um, Washington state's offensive line, like as we saw with USC and Utah, which are, are two good defensive lines. And, and even in Wyoming, um, when they played Washington state, Wyoming has a good defensive line. You can get pressure on Minshew. Um, the trouble is, is that like, he's been so effective at getting the ball out of his hands. Um, but the question I would have in this game is, uh, as we saw with say Stanford, um, Utah and Notre Dame were clearly able to put pressure on KJ Costello and Oregon just was not in their game. Like, so I, I'd be interested to see how and if Oregon can put pressure on Minshew to match what um, Utah, which is a great defensive line and, and Porter Gustin were able to do against uh, Washington state. 
We're going to, you should, so if you don't already follow our, uh, 12 pack radio Twitter account, which is one, two PAC radio, and we'll tweet out all of Hithliday's uh, video breakdowns of this game. Like he is, he really knows the stuff and he's excellent on this stuff. So, uh, what we'll do is we'll do the breakdown. He always does like a video recap of, uh, the previous game, which is Oregon, Washington, and, and he'll do a preview of Washington state, Oregon. So, uh, we'll definitely send those out because if you're watching this game, you're going to want to read his stuff. I, I want to take Washington state. Like I do. They, I, I really like this team. I think that the, I think that the Palouse is going to be fired up. I love Gardner Minshew. I I'm with you, Rob, where the front seven of Oregon scares me a bit. If I'm a Washington state fan, that offensive line has been fine question mark. Right. But, um, I just think they're gonna be able to move the ball and that, that offensive system. I mean, this is so fun. It's Jim Levitt against freaking Mike Leach. Like this right. is, this is so fun. With, with like the, possibly <laughs> the best trigger man, like Mike Leach has had since his days at Texas tech. Here's here's a question. I wish we had Hithliday on this week because I'm curious to see. He's not a big fan of the corners that they have, right? right? So one of the things that Minshew does is he gets the ball out quick and all that stuff. But he can throw a good deep ball too. And when you have people like like Tay Martin that can just go up and get it and, and are good wide receivers, like elite-level wide receivers, against this uh, secondary of Oregon, then I start I start to worry uh, and, and tell us a little bit more about Washington state's defense. Well, I mean, do you, if you're, if you're Oregon state or I mean, Oregon, like, do you trust your, you know, your, your dime corner in this game? Like a lot. Cause he's yeah. going to be on the field yeah. like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and then my answer is no, no. <laughs> Although like they could move uh, Ugo uh, Armadi. He usually is. I think I'm getting the, the name right. If I'm, if I'm not, I apologize, but like they got, they got a, a safety that has played corner yes. in the past. So now you got three, but what do you got after that? That's the other question too. So I'm, I'm with you. So Washington state's defense is not good. They come in ranked at number one on one. Um, this has been very much an offense first team. Um, they've been reasonably good. Their special team score has improved. They're at number 43. Uh, so this, this team, this team in Oregon sort of match up well in their uh, what they're good at and what they're not. Oregon's number thir- <clears throat> 33 on offense, 94 on defense, 53 on special teams. Um, I think that defense is probably a little low. Um, I don't know that the offense is low right now, um, but Washington State, like they're 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 definitely a offense first you know team here, um, and uh, this this game could be like like the game that they had against uh, a USC. Um, but Oregon's, I mean, I, I fully expect Oregon to show up and, and try to run the ball uh, in this game. Like they're like they're, and I think they will be quite effective at it. Um, Washington state is going to have uh, trouble, I think stopping Oregon's running game in this game. Um, and that, that in, in itself sort of gives me a little bit of heartburn if I was going to pick the Cougars because um, you know, like the, if you have if you have uh, Oregon able to run the ball well, Justin Herbert should be able to uh, be highly efficient and maybe even make some throws down the field. Okay, all right. Any other any other keys that you want to point out here? Uh, no, no. I mean, I, I think the I think the like the real key to the game is um, it's on either side of the ball. Is if if Washington State can slow down the Oregon running game at all, and then if you're Oregon, it is you have to find a way to get pressure on Minshew. Okay, who are you taking? 
<laughs> I mean, I'm not like I'm actually not surprised. Like the model likes Washington State in this game. Like I think it likes them a little too much. I think the model is still a little down on Oregon because uh, the model is basically saying like, well, we think you're closer to Stanford than you are to Washington, uh, and the model does not love Stanford after the weeks that they've had. Um, but they're Washington State's an 83 percent win probability favorite in this game. I think that's way too high. Oh, sure. um, but. What is the what's the line two again? Oh. Two. You know, give me the Cougars in this game. I, I I think Levitt without two weeks to prepare is is not quite like this defense is going to be quite as on point as they were last week. Yeah, and, and Washington State's defense is pretty good, and I, I would trust a an elite offense and a pretty good defense against a pretty good offense and uh, okay defense. So, yeah. All right, cool. All right, moving on. We got 5 p.m. USC at Utah. USC, this is the line's already moved. Uh, USC is a six and a half point dog on the road at Utah. And yeah, I I was curious to see what the line was when (laughs) when it came out. Uh, Utah coming off like a big win against Arizona, blah, blah, blah. And we'll let's talk about that game now. they just stopped on Arizona and Arizona is not a good team and they're able to run the ball and they've shifted towards the run. We've talked about this on a number of podcasts, but it's still happening. I thought the one thing to keep in mind is that uh, Tyler Huntley had 80% like of all the games that he had, this is probably in the top 80%. Like he, he, this is exactly what you want out of him where he was able to run the ball. He was able to pass the ball. He only had one turnover. He's able to move the offense and Arizona's defense is just so, so bad that it made him look excellent. But I also think that part of that is the, the evolution of this Utah offense to, towards a more balanced and less pass heavy offense, even though he passed the ball a lot, if that makes sense. Like they, they use the run to set up the pass basically. Does that make sense? Yep. Anything, anything you want to say? Um, Arizona. So Khalil Tate went out, but really yeah. couldn't do anything anyway. <laughs> like, so argue. Yeah, go ahead. I would just say, I mean, there are people going around saying like Arizona, like Arizona is the 11th best team in the pac 12, um, <laughs> in the model right now. Um, it, so I like Utah did what they had to do in this game. Um, their offense has been improving. Um, you know, like this Arizona defense is not good. So, um, I just, I, I wouldn't, I, I don't know. There's just not much. I feel like if you really want to hear us go really deep in depth, like listen to the wildcat radio version of the podcast. Like this, <laughs> it was yeah. a, it was a beat down. We both watched it. Um, I don't know that there was much to take. I mean, there's just, a, there was, a, there was a big imbalance between the two teams. And uh, I don't think there's a lot of takeaways as a result. And Utah is going to stomp, <laughs> stomp on uh, USC. I think they're just going to bring the noise. This is a good team, and they can move the ball a decent amount, and their defense is nasty. And the fact that Porter Gustin is out for forever, basically, which is really a bummer. He is such a fun player to watch. You have Cameron Smith, who is uh, partially injured. Our friend uh, Alicia Deratola at the Reign of Troy podcast released the injury report, and it's just like a, it's a medical ward. It's, yeah. it's bad. Plus the fact that you don't have have an offense that I trust farther than I can throw it in. Uh, I mean, like USC can't run the ball period. How are they going to run the ball against you? Uh, Utah's front seven, man. I have no idea. This is like, so I was, I was a little up in the air before I knew that Porter, Porter Gustin was out. Um, I am less up in the air now that I know that Porter Gustin is 
not going to be in this game because I really was impressed by what USC's defense did uh, against Colorado. And I think that Mm -hmm. even with Utah's offense improving, I mean, I could see USC being good enough uh, to go in and and really shut down Utah's offense. But without Porter Gustin there, I I just I have a hard time seeing that. now, I think with uh, Britton Covey back, I, I think this is this Utah offense is a little more dynamic. Um, they've definitely turned it on the last two weeks. I really, really think that Utah has a big special teams advantage in this game. USC's pen, punting has just been terrible. Yep. Um, so again, like if you're looking at Utah with short field, um, you know, even if USC's defense is good, like Utah's going to be able to put up some points with that short field eventually. Um, and Utah's corners are big, like and and talented. I just I don't buy into this like that they're always going to get away with this JT Daniels just throw up the ball and like you know hope that nobody makes a play on it type crap. Like I'm sorry, like he made like I said he made some great throws in that Colorado game, but he made some deeply deeply bad throws um, that actually turned into big plays. And this USC offense is all big plays. Um, they're not efficient. They don't, I mean, they're terrible at drive efficiency. They rank 121 in drive efficiency. This offense is only good at explosive plays, and they rank number 45 there. Okay. Uh, how many points does USC score in this game? Oof, 17. Ah, you got it. You nailed it, man. Well, I, I mean, we don't actually know, but that, that was what I was going to say, too, 17. <laughs> We need to stop hanging out in the same place. Uh, (laughs) I just, uh, I think this is, I felt like an idiot for not betting more on USC wiping the floor with Arizona. And I am going to take that lesson and apply it to this game against USC. I just think that Utah is a good team and is catching USC at a perfect time. Plus you, you know, Arizona was not like you were mentioning. Arizona was like one of the worst teams of the Pac-12. There is no letdown, look ahead, anything. But like this is USC, and it's coming to Salt Lake City, and they um, and they beat Stanford on the road. They beat Arizona. This is the game for them right now. And and if they win it, they will likely win the Pac-12 South and get a chance to play in the uh, Pac-12 championship. Like I, I give right. give me Utah. Like th- this is the big one for them. So uh, uh, and good luck, good luck to them. Um, last game. Pelify, Arizona at UCLA, 7.30 p.m., East, uh, ESPN2. Uh, no line on this right now because, again, Khalil Tate was hurt in the game against Utah. It is likely he will not play. Uh, he, he already had an injured ankle. Uh, we had on a, the Wildcat Radio podcast said, like, please do not play him because he will get hurt. And guess what? He got hurt <laughs> uh, because Utah's defense is so nasty. He didn't get decapitated, but he got hurt. He did it. But, like, you know, when a 300-pound, like, raging, you know, uh, defensive lineman falls on your leg because your offensive line is a mess, this is what happens. And uh, they go to UCLA, and I think they're catching UCLA at a bad time. Like you mentioned, Rob, their offense is moving. They're looking like a team that's uh, been playing well. We've already talked about Arizona and UCLA. UCLA. So let's just talk about matchups here. Uh, what are some things that you're looking for? Uh, I'm looking for UCLA to just show up and be able to run the ball in this game. I mean, they've, they've significantly, like they're committed to the run. Uh, Joshua Kelly has been um, really good. I, I mean, he was good in that Colorado game. Um, uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson was not uh, the difference against Washington. And then against Cal was that Dorian Thompson Robinson uh, was actually pretty good. So um, I think against a bad, which will be in this 
this Arizona defense will be a significant step down for the last because uh, Colorado is ranked in the 30s. You know, so is Washington. Um, Utah's, or I mean, not Utah. Um, Cal's ranked at number 44 right now in defense. Um, Arizona's ranked at 101. Like UCLA is probably looking their chops coming into this game, being able to run the ball. I think Joshua Kelly has a big game. Um, you know, if they really, really get it rolling, he could he could push for nearly 200 yards rushing. I think in this game, um, Thompson Robinson has been much more efficient. Um, he started to figure out the zones that people are throwing at him, which he wasn't doing earlier on in the year. Uh, and the offensive line, which was a mishmash, is like we said, like starting to click. Like uh, I don't I don't like Arizona's defensive shot in this game uh, very much at all. If you uh, haven't watched a lot of Arizona football, get ready to watch Rhett Rod, Rich Rodriguez's <laughs> son, whose dad got fired from the program, will likely start this game. And he was pretty good, like, you know, compared to what you could expect for somebody getting thrown to the wolves uh, at Utah on the road. But Arizona should be able to move this ball. They'll probably put up, what did we say, like uh, 14 points? I think that's what we said, like. Which is a good jo- good job, Arizona. Like fourteen right. points, good on you. Like, that's kind of where the program is right now. Uh, UCLA should just beat the crap out of Arizona, and uh, and rightly so, uh, particularly the, now that they have them on, at home. So for a while, this looked like a game that Arizona should win handily, but that was before Khalil Tate uh, didn't turn out to be the player we thought he was, and uh, this game should be a blowout. Anything else? I think we covered most of it. No, no, we just got to talk about the uh, the. Um Pac-12 survivor pool no the uh the conference all right so let's let's get into that I didn't read the story as much I just saw the headlines so can you just break down what on earth happened with this targeting call from some Pac-12 executive so apparently the uh with this targeting call that was overruled um and this was uh, a hit on um was this this was the hit on JC Daniels not this is not the infamous hit on Minshew Anyway, um, the uh, the call the call was rule targeting. It was rule targeting by Pac-12 officials, uh, actually in the replay booth in Santa Clara. Um, the general counsel it had been decided. He also heads up football operations for the Pac-12. Um, it had been decided, and this had to have come down from Larry Scott. Was in the booth. Um, he decided that it was not targeting, um, and somebody from I'm assuming one of the referees or somebody within the Pac-12 office thought this was totally bananas. Uh, and so they leaked out the report um, that the officials submit uh, from the Pac-12 uh, replay booth. And it said basically that a third party, meaning the Pac-12 gen- general counsel, had overruled the actual trained officials uh, on whether this was targeting or not uh, to come in and say that it wasn't targeting. Um, I think given how poorly that the conference has handled targeting up to this point, um, and I, I mean, ever if you have question, if you have questionable, I think I think back to that Arizona Cal game where there were the two Cal, you know, targeting calls that were basically headhunting that were not call, like they were overturned, um, yeah. were not called. Um, you know, or I mean, if you have questionable targeting calls, like man like by all means like you you should have questions about them because the fact that there was a non an untrained you know basically someone from the league office in there just like you know and larry scott should have known this like i'm sorry like i've worked in corporate america for a long time like if you're the ceo 
and you're not, you don't have your head completely up your behind. Like, you know, that if you put the most, like someone, you know, in the, on the board, I mean, you know, basically in the, the C-suite in the room, like that person's, you know, their, their, their weight's going to carry the day. Like, yep. um, you know, like nobody's going to over, like try to like overturn the decision of somebody that is a corporate officer. Like, that's insane. Like just ha- like that power dynamic that itself is already toxic and bad. And like any, C- any CEO should, should know that, that that's a bad idea. Um, and you, there's no way that Larry Scott did not approve this setup. Like it just, you don't have the GC in there with that kind of power without, you know, like that being approved, like it's just crazy. I did see his response was like, Oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> like this won't happen again. We've made, was, yeah, it's just, no, did you see uh, his first or so the first response to the Yahoo report was infuriating. And I'm sure someone pulled Larry Scott aside and was like, dude, that's not going to work because his first response was, was that the general counsel fully understands the targeting rule. And this is no big deal. Oh, I didn't see that <laughs> oh, part. No, like, oh my! Go back if you if you want to like just Gosh. have like I mean just a moment of pure internet rage. Go back and read. It was a Yahoo report by Pete Thamel, who's really good at Yahoo. Um, and go read the original quote that they got from the Pac-12 office from Larry Scott, and it is literally like he un- he 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 fully understands the targeting rule and like you know like pound sand <laughs> like. Gosh, what a mess. Right. And I'm sure like the Pac-12 presidents like are like idiot. Like we got inundated with emails last night. Like <laughs> go fall on your sword. <laughs> I don't I mean, good. I'm glad that they fixed it, but I mean, like how many how many friggin' things have to happen uh, for this to continue? I it is just um it is quite quite something. All right, let's let's get to our Let's get to our contest results. So real fast. So uh, in terms of our picks against the spread, Rick Denice went three and one. I went three and one. Robbie went two and two. Rick Balls, oh and four. Oh and four. Oh, oh, he took Arizona. Ah. He did. I know. I know. Him and Ronnie. Ronnie went two and two. Adam, man. Adam making a a comeback. He was three and one this week. He's 23 and 22 on the week. In terms of our contest, so we are giving away two tickets to um, basically your team's uh, premier college basketball game. If you can uh, basically run the gauntlet, which is defeat us in terms of uh, picking against the spread against each member of our team. And if you can knock us all off in six sub- subsequent weeks, we'll give you the tickets. Um, I got challenged by three people and it was a freaking bloodbath, my friend. I beat B-Dub, Nora33, who's challenged me three times in a row. We've tied, tied, tied. Boom! Then I bring the noise. Uh, Nora33 is out. C-Team is out. Um, we had... Uh, Two players challenge Adam. It was Gronky Kong and the Height of Excellence. That was a bloodbath. Uh, Gronky Kong is out. Height of Excellence is out. The only person to survive is Ice Cold Brewskis, and he defeated Ronnie Stoffel. Congratulations to you. Okay, in regards to our Pac-12 Survivor Pool, a lot of you picked cow suckers. So we had 12 people, 12 out. We will have, I think, 23 players remaining. And uh, as always, we will pay homage to those who have departed us. And those names include Ronnie Stoffel, Adam Green, Tyler Merman, Michael Conger, 
Ageless Wonder Pick, AZ Wildcat Mom, Maddie Ice, The Super Freaks, Fly the Punt Flag, Bear Down Rich, Scoronado, and Justice for Saab. Sleep well, sweet princess. <laughs> a lot of friends, a lot of friends that took one for the team, man. <laughs> Moses. <laughs> it's like that, uh, the last of the Mohicans line where like, she's like, how can you just leave these dead bodies like this? And he's like, they're not strangers, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, get your picks in, guys. We uh, we will continue the uh, only a few weeks left, man, in the season, which is crazy. Uh, we're already halfway through. Um, follow us on Twitter at, at 12 Back Radio and then stick around for our special interview with Max Brown.